Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. What a great morning, huh? Two or three of you thought it was a good morning. I thought it was really good. All of those little warriors up here, man, we're going we're gonna to see the kingdom run, run through with all these great kids that are coming to Christ, and we're believing for that. Well, guys, we're continuing our story of David. If you have a copy of your scripture, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22, 1 Samuel 22, and uh, I'll give you a quick review. David is known as the man after God's own heart. His story begins when he's about 16 or 17 years old, just a shepherd out in the fields of Bethlehem. And the great prophet Samuel comes to him and says, you're the guy. They anoint him with oil and he becomes the anointed one of Israel. But the problem is he'll have to wait about 20 years before he actually becomes the king of Israel. How many of you know that life has process to it? You know, it takes a while to get where you want to get. And so there's preparation for the things that we want to do in life. And David learns what preparation is about. He finds success immediately. He ends up in Gibeah, which was the government seat of Israel. Saul was the king of Gibeah. And the only problem was Saul was a little bit insane. And so David would come and he would play his harp and his lyre and he would just soothe the king. Well, David quickly becomes the champion of all of Israel. You might remember the story of David and Goliath. David takes down the Philistine champion and they begin writing songs about David. How David, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed tens of thousands and he became the teen idol. All the girls just loved David. He was wonderful. He had the the, uh, his hair probably looked a little bit like Nathan's, you know, the long hair there and everything. And so everybody just thought he was great. He could sing. He could calm the savage king and the whole deal. Well, it, it's not real long lasted. Actually, he is in the palace for a number of years. But with every day, Saul becomes more and more and more jealous of David. And so last week, we saw the third kind of sequence of his life when he ends up in the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam. How many of you have found yourself in a cave on occasion? A place of just going, I don't know how I ended up here. What did I do to end up here? Can I tell you, sometimes we end up in a cave because God wants us quiet enough to listen to him. He wants to kind of separate us from all of the fanfare that's going on around us. So let's pick that up and and look at uh, chapter 22. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there. Now, they didn't go alone. It says, the next verse, it says, And all those who are in distress, in debt, and discontented gathered around David... And he became their champion. About 400 men were with him. How many of you know if you have to be the champion, if you have to be the commander, if you want to lead people, 
Your first choice is probably not people that can't pay their taxes, who hate the king, and are outlaws that are on the run. But that's who David's got. Plus, he's got mom and dad there. He's got his family, his brothers and sisters. He's got all these guys who rejected him back at home. You know, he was out in the field. He wasn't even in line to be chosen by Samuel. They had to go call him in. So he's got all of these people that are a little questionable, to say the least. You know, how many of you would like to be the commander of a pirate ship? That, that, the, you know, that works okay as long as you're out pillaging and looting and stuff. But if, if your pirates turn against you, it's not a happy day, right? And so David's going to find out what it's like to lead people that are uh, very difficult to lead. So in this, in this passage, it's going to last, a dulum is, is more of a season, of time than it is a place because we're going to see over the next seven years David is going to be prepared for leadership he's going to be prepared to become the king of first Hebron which is is uh, Judah and then later for Israel and so can I just say that these lessons that are learned they're they're really painful in order to get where you need to get a lot of times you have to learn through some very painful things. And so I, I, the reason why that is, I think God doesn't want us to be attached even one little bit to our anointing or to our earthly success. Okay? I, I, it's so easy. If things come easily to you, it, your anointing, God's presence and power in your life, and just your successes, you can become so caught up in the identity of that that you miss your truest identity. See, David knew in his heart of hearts, he knew in his core, he knew in his soul that he was loved by God and that he was a wholehearted lover of God. He knew that. How did he learn that? He learned that when he was out in the shepherd, in the field with the sheep because it was just he and God. He didn't have any of the distractions that he now had, and God said, I'm going to take you back to that place and remind you that it's not you, David. It's not your giftedness. It's not your winsomeness. It's me and my love and my favor upon your life. And so, you know, what happens when your ministry falls apart? What happens when those people who are so faithful to you begin to leave? What happens when your financial base goes away? And what happens when all of your favor begins to wane? Will you stay with God? Will you keep going on with God? You know, because I think a lot of times, uh, in the good times, we can become a little arrogant. In the bad times, we can just give up. And God is saying, David, I've, I've got you right here where I want you, and I'm going to teach you some things. We, we talked about some of those things last week. One is the lesson of leadership. He's got these 400 guys that are, I mean, they're, they're outlaws is what they are, on the run, and um, they're discontented in debt and all of that. And so David has these guys, and they soon become 600. 200 more joined them, and they were called the, the Gibrim, the Gibrim. And that means you'll see David's mighty men. Well, that's who these guys were. And so 
let me just say this. You know, we, we give Saul a hard time, and he deserves a hard time, but Saul deserves some credit also because he built an incredible army in Israel. When Saul became the king of Israel, there was no organized nation, there was no palace, there was no legislature, there was no courts, there wasn't even a military, there was just a few uh, militia of citizen soldiers. And so Saul, what he would do in, in 1 Samuel 14, 52, he says, if he would see a man who was valiant, he was a great warrior, he was strong, he would just take him and put him in his army, okay? That's kind of how he got word about David. David is this guy that he's killed bears and he's killed lions. Let's put him in the army. And so he had people from all different tribes. He didn't just pick his buddies from the tribe of Benjamin to be in the army. He had all of these guys. So this incredible army. So it kind of begs the question, if Saul has this incredible army, how in the world was he outfought by this desert outlaw and his band of 600 men? Have you ever thought about that? How, how did that happen? Well, here's how it happened. David, he had all the best outlaws. Okay? He, I mean, he had the cream of the crop outlaws. I mean, these guys were bad to the bone. Have, have you ever read, uh, this is uh, homework if you want to, go to 2 Samuel 23, and it just talks about some of these guys. He says he had three warriors that were like his chiefs, and the first one it mentions this guy in one event, one event with just his spear killed 800 men. That's, that's a bad hombre, okay? <laughs> he talks about another guy, Eliezer, who, who he was fighting so fiercely that his sword froze to his hand. His hand froze around his sword. He just kept whacking. He just killed. These guys were ruthless. Now, let me say this. We, we love to put David in our nice little... 21st century Christian box. Can I tell you, he really doesn't fit there very nicely. David was a brutal guy. He was a warrior during the Bronze Age. It was barbaric. But the thing that makes David so special, a man after God's own heart, is that God, David gets a hold of some things that it took Jesus going and dying to the cross to the reveal to the rest of the world. He begins to understand some things about the heart of God, who God really is, who he really is, who his identity is in ways that is never seen ever in the Bible before. He's a man so far ahead of his time, but yet, as much as he loves God, he is a brutal guy. Don't try to put him in some kind of Sunday school suit and make him a good Christian. He is not. That's not who David is. That's all free. So... So what makes David's bunch so powerful? David picks people from every tribe, okay? I mean, he gets, he's got people from all, he's got Danites and Simeonites and Reubenites and Asherites and Judeans and all, all kind of people. But the thing about their tribe is they really are one tribe, they're a new tribe. They're a tribe that is the tribe of David. They're loyal to David. 
See, all the other tribes had kind of lost their way in the story. You, you remember they cried out to Samuel, we want a king, we want a king. And Samuel's like, man, you guys are the chosen people of God. What do you need a king for? And he goes to God and he's really upset, Samuel does, and he says, God, these people are just, and God said, wait, wait, Samuel, I want you to understand, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So that's the condition of the world that's going on here. But David begins to pick people from all these tribes and they become loyal to David. And so he creates out of these 600 men the most highly mobile, the most highly well-trained guerrilla unit of warfare. And one of the things that was interesting, he taught his guys how to fight ambidextrously. Okay? Some of you go, wow, that's a good word, Steve. How did you get that? So, that's both, both hands. He, he do, and so, like, if they got wounded, they're right-handed, they got wounded in the right arm or whatever, they just switch and just keep, keep on fighting. I mean, they, they were bad hombres. So, these guys, they had, they had some code. It wasn't not much, but they had a little bit of code. One was they would never kill a Hebrew. They would never kill a Hebrew. Now, they make no doubt about it. They were mercenaries. They could be bought for the use of their sword, but they would never kill a Hebrew. That's going to make the story interesting as, as you go on. But, but if you're an Amalekite, it's not a good day. They'll take it out on you. So this bunch, David learned and matured through leading this bunch. He also matured through... Severe pressure. Take a look at uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 and 2. It says, uh, Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and he was told David is in the desert in En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000, 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. So, can you imagine, for the better part of 10 years, every day of his life, David and his men, 600 men, were looking out for those 3,000 guys that were after them. Saul said, I'm going to pay your salary. All you have to do is kill David. And that was their job. That's a pretty severe test for maturing and dependence on God. Third thing is... He learned, and we talked about this last week. You can get the tape. We, we, we talked about maturing through learning to depend on God alone. And we looked at Psalm 57, how David realized that his hope was in the love and the faithfulness of God. That that's how God fought, fought his battles. The, the fierce love of God wins the day. Can I tell you, the fierce love of God and the undying faithfulness of God always wins the day. And David realized that. It it, it really didn't matter what he had accrued in his treasury. It did not matter. He knew that it was the love and the faithfulness of God that was his inheritance. And so David was maturing in these ways through leadership, through these severe pressures and through depending on God. Now, this morning what I want to talk to you about is two secrets 
two secrets that David learned that were really the secrets of his life that really prepared him for his destiny and purpose as king of Israel. Two things. And can I say to you, you, you're going to hear them, and you're going to think, wow, those, those are fairly commonplace. Can I tell you, they might be very familiar to you, but if you don't do them, you will not succeed. Doing it's doing it, okay? Talking about it's not doing it. Knowing it's not doing it. Praying about it's not doing it. Doing it is doing it, okay? And so David did some things that we need to learn to do in order to succeed in life. I'm going to give you the, the two things, and then we'll unpack them a little later. The first one is David inquired of the Lord. David said, God, if, if, if I don't get your mind on what's going on in my life circumstance, I'm not going to make it. Anybody here? God, I've got to know what you're up to. I've got to know what the enemy's up to. I've got to know what I'm walking into. I need to know what I need to avoid. I need to know the direction. I need to know the counsel of my next step. Okay? And so that is what took him from the cave to the throne, is he inquired of the Lord. The second thing, we'll unpack it a little later, is he learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. Can I tell you, it is wonderful to have friends, right? It's wonderful to have family. It's wonderful to have people who have your back. It's wonderful to have people who will call you whenever you've been absent from something. They check on you when you're sick. They, they love you well. But can I tell you, you, if you've not yet, you will come to a time in your life where you will have to learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You'll have to learn how there's nobody, mama can't help me, daddy can't help me, girlfriend can't help me, wife can't help me, children, nobody can help me. Pastor Joel can't even, I know that's hard to believe. Pastor Joel can't even help me. Joel paid me to say this. Don't, you know. But, but we've got to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So if you're a note taker, that's, you're good. Those two things. But I want to see, I want you to see how this unfolds in David's life. In chapter 23, we're going to work our way through the better part of 1 Samuel because David's life story illustrates these two things. In Samuel chapter 23, this small army of 600 has now really become kind of a desert city. They have families, children, they're, they're starting to grow, but they even have their own priest, Abathar. That's, that's a good name there if you, any of y'all looking for children names uh, in the future there. And they... The word gets out that David and his guerrillas uh, will protect you if you are Hebrew. And so the first place to receive help is a place called Kilah. Everybody say Kilah. And so in 1 Samuel 23, the first four verses, if we could have those up on the overhead, there we go. Let's... Um, Okay, let's, let's read those together. When David was told, is that, is that, that's not right. That's 2 Samuel. That should be 1 Samuel 23. 
That's okay, I'll read it to you. You, you can listen. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against, the, against uh, Kila and are looking are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord. And here's what that looks like. He said, Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? You ever done that? Just had a conversation with God? God, do I need to ask her out? <laughs> and the Lord answered, no, no. And the Lord answered, <laughs> Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. And David's, um, but David's army, his men, his 600 men, said to him, Here in Judah, we were afraid. Now, I mean, these are bad hombres and they're afraid, right? We were afraid. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the Philistine forces? Man, that's, that's not a good deal. Once again, verse 4, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Kilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. How many of you know that it's a good deal when God says, Go because I give? Now, a lot of times it's like, what am I going to have to do? God goes, listen, if I said go and I say I'm going to give, all you have to do is go and I'll give. I'm going to take care of you. Can I tell you where the problem comes is when we begin to presume and we begin to assume that God's going to do something that he has never said he's going to do for us. And we step into something presumptuously and we get our handed to us, right? And so it says that they go in verse 5, David and his men go to Kyla, they fight against the Philistines, carry off all the livestock. Now they've got wives, children, and livestock. And they inflicted heavy loss on the Philistines, and they saved the people of Kilah. Verse 6, you, you learn about Abathar, uh, son of Ahimelech, uh, who, who had brought the ephod down with him when he fled uh, to David. So here you've got David and his men. David is inquiring of the Lord, saying, God, what what do I need to do? God, help me understand what to do. Let me know what's going on here. And the next verses, you, you, you see the rest of those inquiries. I'll just tell you about them in this chapter. The next question that David has after learning that Saul, Saul is plotting against him, he said, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kilah and destroy the town on account of me. Here's, here's his inquiry. Will the citizens of Kilah surrender, to, surrender me to Saul? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard, Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord says, he will. So David inquires a little more. He says, Will the citizens of Kilah surrender me and my men over to Saul? And the Lord says, he, They will. Can, can I tell you, don't ever depend on someone else's counsel on this. You, we've got to depend on the Lord. You know, he would have never even gone to battle if he'd have just listened to his 600 guys, right? You've got to hear the word, the definitive word of the Lord. And so David and his 600 men 
in number. They left Kyla and they kept on moving from place to place. Saul will stop at nothing to stop the anointed one who's on his way to the throne. Let me say that again. There's an enemy out there who will stop at nothing to keep you from your destiny. We pick it up, the the story. let's, Let's move a little bit further here into chapter 24. Chapter 24, the first couple verses, we see that Saul now has 20, he now has 3,000 men that he's enlisted. Isn't it interesting that Saul would put such a vast resources in an effort to find David? Saul is not at war with David. David is not at war with Saul. Saul has war with the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and probably some other ites that I'm not aware of. And he's pushing them back. He's gaining more and more territory for infant Israel. He has more than he can handle right there. But Saul has become obsessed with a shadow enemy. He's become obsessed with an enemy that is not his enemy at all. He's not at war with David. David wasn't at war with him. So he foolishly pulls troops off from these pressing wars, the real wars, to pursue his personal vendetta against David. Now, here's a lesson. If you allow yourself to be distracted by egotistical issues in your own life, you will lose your focus and your purpose and your destiny. If you allow yourself to, or you allow your ego and your pride and your fear, in this case, his fear of David taking over the throne he, re, he redirects his troops on a wild goose chase. How, let me say it this way. Don't pursue enemies that aren't pursuing you. Pursue the enemies that God has told you to pursue. Because there are people, there are places, there are things out there. There is a one enemy, the father of lies, who's always after you. He is the one you, you target. It's not all these other people that you and your egotism and your fear tell you is. It's part of the father of lies telling you that. So David picks up his situation with Saul in chapter 24. Very familiar story. I'll tell it to you real quick. He says, verse 3, it says, he came... Speaking of Saul, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. The Bible's pretty earthy, isn't it? You know, Saul, the king, had to go relieve himself. So he goes into this cave, and David and his men were in the cave. They're way in the back of the cave. Can you imagine? They see the king coming in. Don't try to imagine too vividly, but they, they see the king coming in, 
to do his business. And, 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 they, and his guys, the 600, they say, man, this is it. This is the, the Lord has appointed this time for you to take the throne. He's right there. All you got to do is just whack him. You know. And so David goes in and he, he cuts a little piece of the robe of Saul off. And he goes back and he thinks to himself, I probably could whack this guy. But the Spirit of God comes on him. And he says, David was conscious stricken, having cut the corner off. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his 600 ruffians. Can I tell you what? There's times in leadership you have to stand up against the crowd. There's times in leadership you've got to just do the right thing. There's times as a man of God, a woman of God, a person of God, you just have to do the right thing. And know that God will place you in the position he wants you in. That you can't, you can't get where God wants you to get in your own strength. And so the story goes on and David goes out, he comes out of the cave and he calls out to, to Saul, my Lord, my King, and, and he, said, he said to Saul, why do you listen to these, what these men say? David is bent on harming you. And then he, in verse 11, he calls him my father. What a, what a posture of humility in David. This guy who has been trying to kill him. And he goes on down and their exchange is incredible. You, you need to read it. Verse, 18, verse 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked him, is that your voice, David, my son? My son, David? Saul, in a moment of lucidity, in a moment of it being in his right, he, he begins to weep out loud. The king is broken. He is weeping. He goes, you, and this, listen to what he says, verse 17. You are more righteous than I. You have treated, you have treated uh, me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me the, the good, told me the good you did to me. And the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does not let him get away unharmed. May the Lord reward you well for the way you've treated me today. Now listen to verse 20. This will blow you away. I know... Saul speaking, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Do you remember back at uh, Nioth where, where Saul was prophesying with all the other prophets? He's already prophesied once. I know you're the guy. He's prophesying to his face again. But can I tell you, this will not be the last encounter. He says, listen, take care of my family. Saul says, take care of my family when you come to your kingdom, David. But it doesn't stop his insane chasing of David. There's another instance after that. We won't take time to read that. Turn over to Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 27. Can I tell you this? When people who are driven by ego and they're driven by emotion... They're undependable in their commitments. 
When they tell you one day, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, and then the next day they tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you, probably a good idea not to believe them. And that's where David's at. It's like he really wants to believe in Saul. He really knows that Saul is God's man. He really knows he wants to do this thing God's way. But he really knows that Saul is insane. What do you do in a situation like that? How do you honor the Lord and honor people? Well, he goes on in verse 27, or chapter 27. It says, but David thought to himself, uh, one, one of these days, I'm going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul. You ever, you ever just get tired? Ten years on the run, what is the stinking use? I mean, that's my interpretation of that. He says, the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. Two things, David's saying, this is not going to ever be resolved by reasoning or diplomacy. Number two, I can't live in a cave any longer. And all the women said, amen. We need a real place to live. And so from there, David, are you serious? He goes to Gath to see the king of the Philistines, King Achish. And so while he's there, uh, this time David has a bargaining chip, and that bargaining chip is he has 600 hombres that are the best warriors in all the world. And so Achish says, hey, listen, I think we can make a deal here. Why don't, hey, would you be interested in maybe doing a little raiding and looting for us, and we'll kind of split the profits here, and we'll use your guys to kind of help out the economy of the Philistines. Here's his idea. Achish is thinking to himself, I don't want to merely hire David. I want to own David. Can I tell you, the enemy doesn't merely want to hire you out. He wants to own you. He knows if he can get David to do ill against Israel, he's got him. There's no way Israel will ever take him back. But David, I mean, this is a great movie here. David becomes a double agent. Right? Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. David tells the king, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I'll kill people for you. Again, pretty barbaric, a mercenary. He, he hires on for the king of the Philistines, but when the Philistine guy tell, king says, go out in the south of Negev and begin to kill all these Israelites, you know what David does? He just goes and beats up on the Amalekites. Takes all their loot and he comes back and goes, yeah, another good day in the Negev. And, and so he wipes out everybody that could witness otherwise. David becomes the hero of both the Philistines and the Jews. He is the most celebrated champion in the whole area. He's a double agent, but neither one knows the worst. The only one who really was in bad shape were the Amalekites because they were getting slaughtered every time, okay? So that's what's going on in this story. Now, let's fast forward to, we're getting toward the end of this deal now. In chapter 28, it's a day of reckoning. And finally, there's war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And they say, David, you need to come to war with us, the Philistines. At the last moment, all of the 
David's in, in, in line. He and his 600 guys, they're in line, ready to go to war against Saul and the Israelites. Only one problem is he's, he's pledged to never kill a Hebrew, right? At the last moment, the commanders of the Philistines say, no, I don't think this is a good idea to have David and his men in the deal. I think you need to send them home. Now, here's the part I left out. The king had given, in return for the services of David and his guys, he had given them a place called Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. Ziklag was a community. I mean, they were living in, for the first time, they had a home, a place to settle down. Now, why do I mention Ziklag? Because when they, let me tell you a little bit about Ziklag, and then I'm going to tell you what happens to Ziklag. When you've been on the run for a long time and the enemy's been after you, and you're presented an opportunity that for the first time in your life you can let your breath out, a place that you can call home, it's easy for you to settle for less than God's best. It's easy for Ziklag to now feel like it's home. We finally reached our destination. Yeah, maybe you're not king of Israel, but you're king of Ziklag, right? Well, it's not great, but it's, it's pretty good. Better, better than what we had. And so you start settling in. Can I tell you, the enemy will almost always give you a substitute before the real thing. You know, you know I was thinking about this as I, I was thinking about our church. Even as we talk about, you know, we believe God has a place for us somewhere or whatever. There have been a lot of prophetic words around that. But you can get weary in well-doing to the place you go, that place looks good. It's better than it was in that other place we were in. I believe that's the place. And you get enough people to agree like the 600 and you settle. Are you with me? For a substitute instead of God's very best. Young people, marriage, he, you know, he's pretty good. Pretty good ain't what you're after. You're after a man of God. You're after a woman of God. That, they, you're after God's person for your life. You know? Pretty good. That, that ain't what we're after. Settling is not what we're after. We're after God's best. And, and God settles the deal for them because when they get back home, guess what? Home doesn't exist. It's been raided by the Amalekites. Burned to the ground. All of their wives, children, everybody stolen away. David is in a pickle. David, join me in 1 Samuel 30. It says, David, in verse 6, was greatly distressed because the men, his men, had been talking of stoning him. I mean, this guy was their hero. But they didn't have anyone else to blame. They were going to stone him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. They'd been stolen away by the Amalekites. And here it is. David found strength in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. David said to Abathar the 
priest, son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, bring it. And he brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. Can I tell you what? There's a time when you say, oh God, oh God, oh God, what are your promises of the past? What is it that I know that I know that I know you've said to me? What are the prophecies you've given to me? My wife and I take communion virtually every day because we're praying in for health and some needs we have. But there are promises in that communion that every time we take it and we we go, I'm part of the new covenant of God. I belong. I'm in the family. I have all the benefits of healing and wholeness. I'm I'm forgiven and saved. We rehearse those promises. We rehearse the promises of motherhood, of divine health for her life, for fatherhood in my life, to be the people God's called us and releasing us to be, to fulfill the destiny and purpose that God has. And in that builds strength in the Lord to do the next right thing. And David says to the guys, listen, we got choices here. You, you, guys, you, got, we, you guys can kill me. That's one choice. Not a good choice. You know, we, we can just sit here and whine and weep and moan and complain and all. That's not a good choice. The third choice is we can get up, wipe away our tears, and go take back our families. That's anointing of God that's on this man. They follow him. They go back. They rescue. The scripture says that not one child, not one possession, not one thing was missing. He brought it all back. Brought it all back. And they began to squabble about who gets what. And David says, listen, we're going to be generous in giving. He began to give stuff to all kinds of people in generosity. Can I tell you, that the enemy wants us to settle instead of press into the greater thing. From this place, David Within days, the battle takes place. Saul and his son, Jonathan, David's best friend, his brothers are all killed. Word comes back to David. And I mean, just boom, boom, boom like this. David is, go, he inquires of the Lord, he goes to Hebron, and he becomes the king of Judah. I mean, just that quick. But it came through the inquiring of the Lord. It came through strengthening himself in the Lord. Can I tell you, it was still not over. For seven more years, God worked in him until he became the king of Israel, of all of Israel. Two things, church. We must, must, must learn that we can't do anything until we inquire of the Lord. God, if you don't come through and show us what you're doing, it's not going to happen. And so we need to learn how to stand on the promises that God has given us. To strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Even in those lowest of times, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I'm going to ask the team to come on up and our, our prayer people, if you guys would come on forward. And I want you to just stand together right now. And I know that, that there are many of you here that there are things that you're wrestling with, you're struggling with. Can I tell you, first and foremost, don't settle. Don't settle for less than what God has for you. 
And the way you don't settle for the less than God has for you is you inquire of the Lord. You say, oh God, what is it? And be willing to wait, if necessary, for the best. But in the waiting, what do you do? You strengthen yourself in the Lord. You be reminded of those prophecies that he's given you. You be reminded of the truths of his word. Of His word. You worship until you get breakthrough and you say, oh God, you and you alone are enough. Amen. So Father, we just say today is a new day for us, Lord. We want to be a people that first and foremost inquire of you. Just say that wherever you are right now. Lord, I will. Lord, I will inquire of you. I will seek you first. Your kingdom and your righteousness. That's what that verse is all about. And then everything else will be added to me. Lord, I'm going to seek you first. Not as an afterthought, Lord. Whatever your need is this morning, I want you to come and and, and receive. I want you to come and have someone partner with you in prayer as, as you just agree together for whatever God's doing. If you have a physical need this morning, we certainly want to ask the Lord to, to come in and meet that. So, Lord, we just receive from you this morning in Jesus' name. Grateful hearts. Amen.